0: Hello and welcome to the Being Well podcast. I'm Forrest Hansen. In our last episode, you heard Dr. Hansen and Dr. Gilbert continue our focus on the strength of confidence, particularly discussing how we can grow a healthy sense of self-worth, be honest without being critical, and stop undermining ourselves. Today, we're going to look at the two different attitudes or voices that live inside all of us, the inner nurturer and the inner critic. To help us explore these two inner characters, I'm joined, as usual, by Dr. Rick Hansen, could you explain what you mean by an inner critic and an inner nurturer? Because when put that way, it can sound a little out there, or maybe even borderline right, psychotic. Right, a little psycho. Yeah, uh,
1: it's this notion that within all of us, the psyche is more like an archipelago than a continent. Mm-hmm. In other words, we all have these different perspectives or views, and, and there are certain attitudes and even emotions and body sensations associated with these different. Parts of the normal self. Jung actually had a term uh, for these. He called them complexes, the idea Mm -hmm. that they are, in a sense, a complex of uh, viewpoints and related emotions and sensations, often grounded in a person's developmental history. So, to sort of simplify it, it's as if inside each one of us, if we were to divide the psyche, the self, into three major parts, would be an internal part that is sort of being. Done to, to <laughs> so where I call it the beleaguered self, and then we have the inner attacker and the inner nurturer, and it's not that we have some kind of multiple personality disorder or that we're psychotic. It's just that inside us we're pulled in different directions by different tendencies, different different aspects of ourselves, and it's very useful to appreciate the power on the one hand of the inner attacker. Let's call it the inner critic offset on the other, very importantly, by hopefully a big, powerful, uh, wise and
0: effective inner nurturer. So the two of these characteristics each play a role in our mind?
1: Yeah, they're both useful. Mm -hmm. Uh, Too much uh, nurturance and too little criticism, Mm -hmm. you know, you get selfish and self-important. On the other hand, for many people, the issue is not too much self-nurturance not enough inner criticism for them, they're hard on themselves. Mm. A lot of research shows this, and uh, we do tend to internalize what was done to us. So if while growing up, especially when we're young and vulnerable, and even later in life, uh, others, uh, parents, siblings, peers, or later on, coaches, ministers, bosses, Mm -hmm. uh, if they were harsh toward us, critical, toward us, if they were pushy and driving us always to perform better and better and better, and if they were uh, dismissive of our own needs, our own vulnerabilities, our own feelings, well, no uh, surprise here. The brain's designed to internalize what it experiences, especially if it's negative, especially when we're young. So we take into ourselves these attitudes, and then we start doing them to ourselves. And a Mm. key watchword is When you're feeling down or blue or defeated, what gets going inside your mind? Uh, Are there forces there that are encouraging, realistic, help you see the bigger picture, uh, supportive, tenderhearted? Or are you like many, many people, perhaps most people, in which when there's a a defeat or a falling short or feelings of hurt, uh, there's not much nurturance coming toward you from within you. And also instead, there's a kind of mean, bullying, dismissive, snippy, kind of like a big thumb coming down on you. And that's more often the case for most people.
0: So in theory, these two elements, these two characters should more or less be in balance. But for most people, the inner critic's a lot louder than the inner nerd. That's
1: right. I kind of imagine, you know, the inner critic is like, some combination of Godzilla and Darth Vader looming over a tiny little fairy godmother figure out of a Disney film. And that's the problem. The, you know, the critic's too big, and the nurturer's too small, and then they're out of balance. And you know, that's um, why the kind of work we explore in the book, Resilient, is so important, to bring them back into balance.
0: So if the inner critic is so much more powerful... And the inner nurturer, what are some things that we can do to limit the influence of the inner critic?
1: First, remember that it's, it's important to be able to guide yourself. To I me, mean, that's the important distinction between inner criticism and inner guidance. There's a place for having a conscience, for a healthy aspect of what Freud called the superego, uh, a moral sense, and to have aspects within us that remind us to uh, keep going. I remember climbing guides I've had, rock climbing guides, who, uh, in a very sort of, you know, climbing guide kind of way, were actually nurturing. And they would say to me, after I would stare hard at some really difficult thing, they would kind of laugh and joke and say, hey, Rick, quit whining and start climbing. And they Mm -hmm. didn't mean it to tear me down. In that context, it was their way of being encouraging. So there's a place for having standards and moral values and knowing when you're falling short and being able to, um, you know, give yourself a a bit of a prod, um, if not a bit of a finger wagging, uh, as appropriate. So knowing that in yourself, that you do have integrity, and you are willing to keep on going when the going gets tough, that helps you realize that you don't need to accomplish those important purposes by lashing yourself and whipping yourself along the way. Point one. Point two, become more and more aware of what that inner critic, Feels like. If you start feeling small, less than others, as if there's something shameful about yourself, that's an indicator that the inner critic is starting to go to work. So be mindful of its operation, mm-hmm. uh, including that little voice inside you that tends to diminish or dismiss uh, your own pain and your own burdens. And then the third thing is to uh, disidentify from the inner critic. It really helps to get a sense of it sort of over there rather than in here. It's part of you. You know that. You're clear it's not being inserted into your mind. That would be a little psychotic. But it's what's called ego-distant rather than ego-near. It's Mm -hmm. kind of over there. And a way to support that is to imagine it as sort of a silly, annoying character, like out of a cartoon movie or a children's Mm -hmm. show or Mm -hmm. a fairy tale. Kind of ridiculous. Or maybe imagine the inner critic as that person on a committee, that has something useful to say, but then just goes way over the top about it and so negative. So you got to listen to it, but you recognize it for what it is. That's really useful. And then a a last thing that's really useful with it is to try to get to the heart of what's useful and relevant and what it says, and then tell it, you got it and pipe down, we're going to keep on going. In other words, In some sense, the brain and the mind is like a committee, and every committee needs a strong and wise chair. So uh, it's helpful to, as the chair of your own inner committee, as the core self, as it were, uh, take what the inner critic has to say that's useful and then speak back to it and say, Hey, we got it. Mm -hmm. And we're going to keep on going. Thank you for sharing. Up, up. Anything new to say? No? Okay, we got it. Thank you for sharing. And we're going to move on now.
0: Okay, so speaking to that difference between what's useful and what's not useful, as you mentioned earlier, uh, if the inner critic is very punishing, that's bad. On the other hand, if there's no inner critic, it's pretty easy to tip into narcissism or things like that. Self-indulgence. Self-indulgence, yeah. whatever it might be. So that's also bad. Yeah. Um. So how do you find that thin line in between the two of them?
1: Well, of Forrest, that's such a profound question, isn't it? You know how do we how do we know
0: how do we know when to hold them when to fold them how do we know whether
1: <laughs> uh, the tree is bearing good fruit sure, mm-hmm. yeah yeah um, I think we know it over time right over time we start to see patterns mm-hmm. we start knowing uh, causes and effect what do you think I mean for me it it's sort of like what does it feel like in the moment that's an indicator and then I observe the results uh, and then I, I I think it's really useful also to ask a question okay. If I did get the result, Mm -hmm. could there have been a wiser, better way with less collateral damage Mm. for myself and maybe other people too?
0: Yeah, that's kind of an interesting way to think about it. I think that just as you were saying, I think that in the moment, it's kind of hard to tell. We get wrapped up in our reactions to something. It's difficult to really take that step back from ourselves and be like, this is my inner nurturer talking or this is my inner critic talking. Yeah. Particularly when it's not just about identifying the difference between your inner nurturer and your inner critic, Mm -hmm. but rather about the even subtler difference between too much critic and not enough critic, Mm -hmm. right? So, as you were mentioning, I think that may be a useful way to approach it, is that final piece of advice that you gave, which is trying to take the useful stuff while leaving the negative stuff at the Mm -hmm. door. Maybe a way to think about this would be to take the content criticism while leaving the kind of emotional recrimination that comes alongside yeah. it. Like, it's, it's useful to self-evaluate your work and go, yeah, you know what, I could have worked harder on that report. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I could have modified my tone with somebody in that mm-hmm. conversation, or whatever yeah. it might be. But where we really get into trouble is what we discussed previously around first and second arts, yeah. where following that first content statement mm-hmm. comes this flood of unnecessary self-criticism. Yeah. And being able to kind of intercept that process before it gets really intense or really heated, yeah. I think is a, a very, very useful personal skill.
1: Yeah. Speaking of useful, I'm just you raising these points has mm-hmm. for me been personally really useful because it's yeah. helped me realize actually that the essence, the useful essence of the inner critic or self criticism, is one identifying a correction, and two being motivated to make it.
0: Mm, mm-hmm.
1: All right. So that's it. If you are identifying a correction that rings true to you, how to do it better next time mm-hmm. or how to, you know, how to clean up the mess from last time. Yeah. And then second, if you're actually motivated to do it and you're going to do it, uh, then anything else after that, including feeling bad about yourself or angry at yourself or like a bad person, or adding to underlying feelings of inadequacy, or slow self-worth or shame, that's just unnecessary. Hmm. The value is in the correction, and the motivation to make it. And I know a lot of people, I bet you do too, who are, they're accomplishing a lot. They're, in a quote-unquote sense, performing at a high level, including in everyday life. They're moral, they, they work hard, mm-hmm. but inside themselves, they don't feel happy. Mm -hmm. that is a yellow flag indicator uh, of,
0: you know, inner critic alert. Yeah. Okay, so if that's a way to step in between the inner critic and your, you know, deep sense of self-worth, if you want to kind of put it that way, then what are some ways that we can kind of beef up the inner nurturer so Mm -hmm. that it can combat that inner critic more effectively? Yeah. I think that's
1: a fabulous question, partly because strategically— it's hard to bring down the inner critic mm. in a short amount of time. Those are long-standing tendencies. They often got laid in really early in childhood and also in culture. Some cultures uh, tend to promote qualities of self-criticism or related qualities of shaming neediness and uh, placing a very high value on never revealing weakness and being very stoic in terms of how one goes forward in life. Uh, those are, you know, they they change, but they change kind of slowly. On the other hand, it's possible fairly rapidly to build up an appropriate um, sense of what we might call very broadly um, inner nurturance, mm-hmm. or including inner guidance without the attacks of the inner critic. Uh, many people, let's not kid ourselves, have internalized um, shameful things that were done to them including his young children, Mm -hmm. and unfortunately internalized a sense that there was something shameful about themselves, Yeah, even though it was just what was done to them when they were innocent and vulnerable was shameful. But that shamefulness is
0: about the ones who had done it to them, not... Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of just our nature as people, as humans, not to go too meta here, but is kind of the search for meaning. Even just thinking about ancient humans, looking at lightning strikes and things like that, they don't know where the lightning strikes come from, so the lightning strikes come from the thunder god uh, or whatever it is. Like, yes. we search for meaning, you yeah. know? Um, Including when we're three years old. And that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, for to a two-year-old to a three-year-old, I've I've lived inside the mind of a two- or three-year-old, but I have no real memory yeah. of it, so yeah. it's hard to kind of say how it operates exactly. But I think that for most of us, we look at the hot stove, and we touch the hot stove, and the hot stove burns us. Mm. And, you know, it burnt us because the stove was hot. Equally, our... Lovely parent is mean to us, and they're mean to us because we're bad. Like it's a very easy sort of one-to-one we correlation to draw. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. We make and it
1: mean that we're bad yeah. rather than mom their actions is just were bad.
0: Yeah. Really irritated these days because she has a hard life. And we, as a child, everything's very self-referential. Yeah, we don't know better.
1: True. Well, building up the inner nurturer, it's a sweet path because the way to build up the inner nurturer, as with so much of what we've talked about in terms of positive neuroplasticity is a very simple two-stage process, but you got to do both of the steps of the two-step process. Mm -hmm. Step one, have experiences of inner nurturance or that are related to it, such as others being caring or recognizing good qualities in yourself or being a a warm and supportive guide to yourself rather than a mean, critical kind of overlord Mm -hmm. to yourself. When you have those kinds of experiences, then really take them in, build Mm -hmm. up that sense from the inside out. Mm -hmm. And one of the, I I know it understandably drives you a little crazy sometimes, but I have this very goofy idea of an inner caring committee because Mm -hmm. the inner nurturer, as it were, much as the inner critic, in effect is a composite of multiple tendencies, voices, views. There's the element that just is very pushing, pushing, driving, driving. Then there's a part that's probably sort of alarmist, like, oh my goodness, if you're not perfect, 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 the world will fall down. And then there's another part that's sort of mean, and well, yeah, but what about all the other times you weren't really a good person? In that same way, the so-called inner nurturer is really a composite. And uh, in my goofball inner caring committee, I have a variety of characters. Uh, in it. And frankly, I'm starting to internalize you in it, along with your mom and the fairy godmother, as well as a few other characters like tough football coaches and rock climbing black guys I've had, and really important teachers for myself. So you might think about, as you uh, build up your own inner caring committee, who's on your own caring committee? And uh, one thing you can also do that's really powerful, when you're feeling low, imagine almost a dialogue that you're witnessing between the inner critic and the inner caring committee. And make sure that you want the inner caring committee to, in some sense, win. That you're on the side of the inner caring committee. You're, you're open to the value that's available and what the inner critic has to say. And after that, you're all in on the inner caring committee. And as you imagine that conversation back and forth, you can even literally write it out, mm-hmm. which I've done things like this. Mm. Yes, you're not crazy, it's okay, you're just writing it out. But in the process of writing it out, sometimes you discover inner beliefs or attitudes from the critic side that are kind of mind-blowing when you face them. You mm-hmm. realize, wow, that's my stepmother's voice in my head. That's my dad's voice in my head. That's you know my teacher's voice in my head, my piano teacher's voice in my head. And you go, woo. Flip the other way, when you play around with the inner uh, nurturer, the caring committee, it's really neat to start recognizing some of the really good influences in your life that
0: you can now have more and more inside you. So a little bit earlier, you were talking about the experience of the inner critic Mm -hmm. as this very domineering figure and the way that it can feel sort of like it's needling you or whatever Mm -hmm. that experience is. Is there a similar experience for the inner nurturer that people can learn to identify?
1: Yeah. Well, much like a clue as to when the inner critic is really coming at you, is this sense of being small, mm-hmm. smallified, as a friend of mine puts it, mm. or kind of contracted. You might feel your shoulders slumping a little, mm. literally mm-hmm. as if some authority figure was lambasting you, scolding you. Uh, and you just felt uh, kind of the human equivalent of a, of a dog that's just being really yelled at, sort of, mm-hmm. that's what it feels like. Flip the other way. Inner nurturer, when that's happening, uh, there's a sense, I guess, of having the wind at your back. You just feel a little bit like mm. you're being encouraged, mm-hmm. not in a silly way, but in a sense you're being cheered on. And, you, and, and in that, there's a, a feeling of opening. Oftentimes, people I've noticed will sit up a little straighter, their shoulders will come back, they won't try to hide. We tend to want to hide when we're being criticized because we just sort of want to skulk away into a corner where no one will see us. On the other hand, when we're being nurtured and, and encouraged and the best in us is being seen, we're willing to step forward up into the light. And then I want to flip it around because I just realized something for us. It's a really important point. When uh, the inner critic is strong inside us, we tend to be more critical of other people. On the other hand, when the inner nurturer or, and those qualities are strong within us, we tend to be more nurturing toward others. So I kind of wanted to ask You have a question about what you've noticed about people who are self-critical being critical of others or people who are self-nurturing being more nurturing toward others and vice versa.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's really similar to the content that we covered uh, in previous episodes about secure and insecure attachment, where one of the best ways to become a more securely attached person yourself is to become someone that people can securely attach to. That's interesting. Yeah, Yeah, so much in the same way, I think that if our goal is to either limit the influence of the inner critic Mm inside of our own minds or to develop the strength of the inner nurturer, Mm -hmm. it makes sense to be conscious of the ways that we're critical towards others. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of the time, that's kind of like our own inner critic leaking a little bit. And just the same way, If we develop a really deep felt sense of caring for other people Mm -hmm. through many of the techniques that you've explained in previous episodes and in your work in general, Mm -hmm. you can kind of learn what it feels like to care about somebody else and therefore flip that around and learn what it feels like to care about yourself. A lot of the material that we're talking about here really kind of gets back to some of our earliest episodes, which were focused on the idea of self-caring.
1: That's very good. That's great.
0: To loop back to something that I mentioned a little bit earlier we talk fairly frequently on this podcast, and I certainly do. It's one of my pet topics, about this idea of there being kind of a moment between something happening mm. to you and your reaction to that thing, yeah. and how you can't really control what happened to you. Mm-hmm. And once the stone gets rolling down the hill, it's kind of tough to deal with your own reactions to right. something. So where we really kind of have maximum agency in life is kind of that moment in between the stimulation and the response to mm. it. So, if somebody feels their inner critic start to kind of get churning inside of the mind, what are some ways to kind of intercede before it really gets rolling?
1: Great question. I find for myself, in a funny kind of way, is to do a kind of
0: psychological aikido with it. Okay, all right. I'm going to call this uh-huh. psychido. Okay, that's it. I like it. That's it. Psychido. We'll, we'll enter the copyright. <laughs> it's
1: great. Psychido. Anyway, <laughs> so the inner critic's rolling. If you fight it. In a funny way, uh, there's an old line, what you resist persists. Mm. Uh, Or different versions of that, if you can just visualize a, a kind of a struggle, if you grab the inner critic and try to push it away, what are you holding on to? What are you up close and personal with? So I find in a weird kind of way, one of the best things is to just cut right to the chase. Okay, where's the value? What's the correction? And what's the motivation that's available here that's useful? And in the core of your being, you get to decide what's useful and true, not the inner critic. So, in a funny kind of way, uh, I try to listen to my inner critic. Uh, That that Mm. initial little bit of almost a signal of anticipatory shame or anticipatory remorse, or that warning that says, "Oh, if I keep going down this road, I'm going to mess up. I'm going to make a mistake. I'm going to leave something out. I'm going to be too hasty." Something like that. There's a place for the early warning, if you will, mm. that's that's coming from the inner critic. Mm-hmm. So I try to listen to it, cut to the chase about what actually is useful as correction or motivation of what it has to say. And then internally make a, a heartfelt commitment to that. And then when I know that I'm making a heartfelt commitment to whatever the inner critic has to say, it tends to subside mm. because it's trying to help us. It's always got a function. It's serving the function of trying to help us and it's sometimes <laughs> over the top way. So when you receive the help, the essence of the help, the correction and the motivation, then you can keep on going. I, I find that's really useful. Um, the second thing is to locate the inner critic as, as I said earlier, ego-alien is a term, ego-distant. Uh, I think I used a different term. Ego-alien, ego-distant kind of mean the same thing. In other words, the inner critic is, lo- is placed outside the, the circle of the core self. And uh, so it's over there, you know, it's part of your own mind. You don't, you know, you're not psychotic. But on the other hand, it's held at a distance and one does not identify with it. Where we get into trouble is when we identify with the inner critic and uh, we almost start cheering it on as it lambastes us. I know that sounds kind of Looney Tunes, but that's sort of how it feels inside. And uh, that's really where we get into trouble. So those would be my two quick go tos. When the inner
0: critic starts revving up great so that seems like a pretty good place to bring the episode to a close we talked about the inner critic and the inner nurturer today which are these two hopefully balanced sides of the psyche the inner nurturer on the one hand builds us up while the inner critic points out some places where there could be a little bit of improvement the problem comes in when the inner critic becomes much stronger than the inner nurturer or the inner nurturer becomes much stronger than the inner critic. For most people, their inner critic is a lot louder than their inner nurturer because we internalize our negative experiences as a child much more readily than we do our positive ones. We talked about some ways that we can recognize the criticism of the inner critic as being out of bounds or excessive or irrational and compartmentalize that properly in the mind. Then we talked about some ways that we can build up the inner nurture both by internalizing our positive experiences in the here and now and bringing kind of additional forces to bear through the role of something like a caring committee we talked about how being a good nurturer yourself can make you more capable of nurturing yourself so just as with secure and insecure attachment people who struggle with secure attachment issues, can become more securely attached by being someone that others want to securely attach to. We can beef up our inner nurturer by being a nurturing person to others. ourselves. Finally, you closed with some ways that we can interject before the inner critic gets rolling, so we can kind of cut things off at the pass before we drop into those cycles of self recrimination before we start feeling the pain of the second dart. If you enjoyed the podcast, we hope that you'll subscribe through the platform of your choice. It really does help other people find it. And we absolutely appreciate the support. We hope you'll join us again next week when we'll bring our focus on confidence to a close with an episode dedicated to feeling like a good person. Until then, thanks for listening.